Yes, and hello. I broke my ass tobogganing. <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> I did mean to laugh. What happened? <laughs> I hit the crossbar on the toboggan when I came back down after hitting the jump with my little girl. Uh, oh, yeah. And being the dad, you can't express any pain whatsoever. You got to get up there and like, like it was almost like a Renan Stimpy-esque kind of moment where I'm trying to hold back the tears. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you busted up the coccyx, did you? <laughs> I busted my butt big time. <laughs> Yes. See, I, 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 I do remember that because uh, growing up in the prairies, we had this quarry where we used to go tobogganing. And there was a particularly steep hill. And the idea was that you did not uh, sit down when you went on your toboggan. You put a, there was a, a rope that you put around the front and you surfed your way down. And, ah. and I remember um, doing something along those lines. And I remember being in a tremendous amount of pain. I think uh, that's probably why I was at the chiropractor yesterday. Actually got a bruise. Yeah, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, when was this? Today? Today. Okay, just wait till tomorrow morning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I barely sit in this chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing my TV show is done standing up. <laughs> the views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers or chiropractors. I'm sorry. When you break your butt, it's funny. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The top 10 anti-Valentine's Day songs. How to use a floppy drive to express your hatred for the one you love. Who has time to listen to a full four and a half minute song? We'll introduce you to a radio station format that packs 24 tracks into a single hour and still has room for commercial. Bob Marley's son is roasting something and it's not his brain. How the former member of the Ottawa Rough Riders keeps his caffeine level up. Stream music throughout your house for 100 bucks. A quick review of the latest smartphone gadget called Beat. Plus, a Geeks and Beats update on Michael's talking house and the biggest Super Bowl fakeout revealed. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The top 10 anti-Valentine's Day songs. Are you are you against Valentine's Day? Absolutely, I'm against Valentine's Day. <laughs> Big surprise. You're against Valentine's Day. You're against Halloween. Yep. At New Year's Eve. Yep. Uh, what do you do for fun? Um, hmm. Is there a day that I... Is there a day you allocate for fun? Well, I think any day that doesn't involve obligation is good. So every February 29th. Sure. Okay. Well, that's fine. But, you know, I don't mind all the other days, all the other stats, all the other celebratory days of the year. It's just, you know, Valentine's Day just comes with it all kinds of baggage, and I don't like it. And it's always something, you know, the guy has to do something for the woman. I've turned that around, by the way. Oh, you have? Yes. It's all about me on Valentine's Day. You understand that there there is a guy's version. Oh, yes. I know what that day is. Yes. Uh, here it is. It involves steak. Yes. Yes. Uh, and other things. The official steak and BJ Day, which is March 14th this year. So one month after Valentine's Day. There is actually a website now. <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Oh, look at the T-shirt. <laughs> of course you can buy a T-shirt. And the only one who's going to own that T-shirt is a single guy. <laughs> you bet it is. 
Um, but anyway, uh, back to your original question. No, I don't like Valentine's Day. I think Valentine's Day songs are, uh, I mean, it's they're overwrought, sappy, and campy. However, I do like anti-Valentine's Day songs, which give that whole thing equal time. You've put together this top ten list of anti-Valentine's Day songs, and you've started with Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper. Is that really a an anti-romantic song? Uh, first of all, I did not put this together. This is by one of my writers, Brent Chittenden. Is Brent single? Uh, no, actually, he's married. He's going to be uh, married later this year. Oh, okay. So Valentine's Day will come to a grinding halt for him. Well, no, 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 no. Here, okay, so he. Uh, let me just read what he wrote about Don't Fear the Reaper. I'm going to lay it out for everyone. Romeo and Juliet weren't romantic. They were stupid teenagers full of hormones and due to the time period, probably had bad teeth. Picture kissing medieval Shane McGowan. Yeah, that sounds romantic, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> I, I go, and they were, what, 13, 14 years old? I mean, they, this was child porn. They should not have been doing what they were doing. And they were just dumb kids, and they both died. So there you go. I've never heard anyone compare Shakespeare to child pornography, but all right. There you go. Fleetwood Max, Go Your Own Way, number nine, Prince When You Were Mine. Yeah. Uh, which is, is actually one of my favorite songs, although the Cyndi Lauper version, actually, I prefer. Okay, fine. Joy Division's Love Will Tear Us Apart. I can see that. Puddle of Mud, She Hates Me. William Shatner doing CeeLo Green's Bleep You. Yeah, you have to see him do it. William Shatner! <laughs> I see you walking around town with the girl I love, and I'm like, you. I guess the change in my pocket wasn't enough. I'm like, you, and uh, her too. I said I was with her, and I'd still be with her. Ha! Now ain't that some stuff? And although there's a pain in my chest, I still wish you the best with a you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Can't afford a Ferrari. But that don't mean I can't get you there. I guess he's an Xbox, and I'm more an Atari. But the way you play your game ain't fair. What? Betty the fool that falls in love with you. Well, I got some news for you. Yeah, go run and tell your little boyfriend. I see you driving around town with the girl I love, and I'm like, you. I guess the change in my pocket wasn't enough. I'm like, you, and uh, her too. If I said I was richer, I'd still be with you. Yeah, ain't that some stuff? And although there's a pain in my chest, I still wish you the best with uh, you. It makes sense. Eminem's Kim is in there, along with uh, Love Stinks by the Jay Giles Band. Uh, That's an easy one. It has to be in there. Yep. Caught Out There by Kellis. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. Well, it doesn't matter. It's there. One of the only songs I know, writes Brent, that contains a reference to Valentine's Day in the lyric, I hate you so much right now. There you go. And number one with a bullet, Love is for Suckers by Twisted Sister. They could, you know, consider the source, but uh, it was originally part of a D. Snyder solo record. But, uh, you know, that pretty much says it all. The one that's missing from that list is the 1964 song by Ed Cobb, Tainted Love. Yeah, okay. Sure, we can put that in there. But again, this was only a top ten list. I would think that would be number one. 
Uh, Particularly since Soft Cell in 1981 made it famous. Yeah. And Gloria Jones, don't forget, recorded it in 1965. But that's another story. You sent me a, a link to this uh, YouTube video uh, called Floppy Music, Soft Cell's Tainted Love. Oh, oh, okay. I see the segue here. Okay. Sorry. Ah, see? King of segues. Yeah. Sorry. I'm a little thick, right? Uh, see, one of the, just a sidebar here. One of the things about recording these shows in the evening versus when we used to record them in the morning is that I can have one of these. You can drink. Yes. Tito's handmade vodka. Uh, you may recall we were having a conversation about that and how I was trying to develop a taste for uh, Glenn Fittich. Mm-hmm. Is it Fittich or Fittich? Uh, I say Fittich. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, and uh, I was gifted a 15-year-old uh, bottle. And I finished it, didn't I? And, yes, you did. That's okay. I, <laughs> I, I, I put enough effort into it, so much so that I went out and got myself an 18-year-old. Uh-huh. Again, we're talking about the booze. Doesn't matter. It would be legal anyway. But, oh, wifey. That's right. Sorry. Right. Sorry. 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 That's right. <laughs> Speaking of Valentine's Day. All right. Next time we get together and bring in some Japanese whiskey, I'll sort you out. And uh, I, I, I think I've finally been able to stomach it such that when I'm at a party and somebody offers it to me, I will now not turn it down. Ah, uh, you will. You will be very happy. Anyway, back to uh, – how do we get into this? Oh, yes. I was talking about my Tito's. Um, tainted love, disc drive love? Yes. Uh, Giga Wipf. Uh, over uh, in Germany, he's a computer science student who set up his own YouTube channel under that name, and he uses 13 three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk drives and one hard drive with the cover removed to belt out one of New Wave's most famous tracks. I've seen people do this before. They take all this old gear, and because it clicks and clacks in interesting ways, they... they... Let's just see. Here we go. <laughs> It's using an Arduino-based circuit board running the Raspberry Pi operating system. And if you know what that means, yeah, yeah. you can go to geeksandbeats.com and actually get the software that they use. What they've concluded and what they've figured out is that uh, if you read a floppy disk a certain way, it gives you a certain tone. And variations on that read-write action will produce different notes. And so this software called Moppy has figured it all out for you. So you just basically need to program Moppy to play a specific track. I have so many hard drives in my basement. I mean, they're still in old computer boxes, but I mean, I could probably do this. Although I don't know why I'd want to do this. Are you one of these guys who's afraid to throw out his hard drive for fear that someone will take the hard drive and get all your personal information uh, off it? I have, I have my very first computer, one that I bought in 1992. It had a 40 megabyte hard drive. It's in the basement. My very first hard drive was 20 megabytes, and it was $1,000. Oh, yeah, it was huge, hugely expensive. Outrageously expensive. But it uh, was attached to an Amiga and came with an additional two megabytes of memory on board for RAM that you had to put individual chips in to get working. Listen, two megabytes of memory for an Amiga was huge. Was massive. I remember my first machine had two megabyte, four megabytes of memory, and then I, I doubled it to eight and that extra four megabytes of memory cost me $800. So a tainted floppy disk drive love aside, I think Soft Cell's t- version of Tainted Love is the version. As a matter of fact, I have to confess, 
I thought they were the ones who did it originally. Yeah, a lot of people think that. Is he going to get a takedown notice from from YouTube for copyright infringement? Well, I guess he wouldn't buy the automated system because the audio wouldn't match sufficiently enough the the fingerprints because every song has a fingerprint. Right. That it wouldn't match it sufficiently to have the automated system uh, kick it down. But maybe the record label, uh, who of course most record labels are very altruistic. Oh yeah. And, and are more than happy to let other people play their music. Oh sure. Uh, would probably be the ones to have to manually call for the takedown notice. Yeah, that's really going to hurt anybody. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. Anyway, I uh, I took your weird internet personality quiz. Yeah, I don't know what this is, but there's a lot of these coming out. Um, BuzzFeed seems to have a bunch of them. Uh, which '90s alt rock dude are you? Which '90s girl, uh, riot girl are you? And then there was one today, and today being Sunday, which country star are you? I didn't do that one. I didn't care. I did the which '90s alt rock dude are you? And who are you? Well, let's go through the list. Question number one. Which gloomy word is the most appealing? Rain, apathy, sorrow, deadbeat, black, rotten, parasite, slump, burn. I'm going to go with sorrow. Okay. Uh, which usually happens when you go to a party? Thoughtful chat about cinema, drug buffet, stare at someone you think is cute, lots of dancing, you whip it out, <laughs> argument about politics, judge everyone around you. Yeah, it's probably that. Uh, let's go to what's your favorite social network. It's going to be uh, Faceplant. Uh, although I fart fet life. Okay. Certainly caught my attention. The BDSM and fetish community for kinksters by kinksters. There's a social network for everything now. There, there, there is. I mean, I, I'm obviously not plugged in nearly enough, and I'm only on three. What's your best rhyme for game? Tame, maim, fame, same, blame, shame, lame, came, name. I'm going to go with tame. Uh, snack time. What would you like? Uh, I think I'm going to go with a hot dog on this one. Okay, how about a drink? Pick an off-brand Dr. Pepper. I didn't know there was an off-brand Dr. Pepper. I know. I, that was the one I had the most trouble with because I don't like Dr. Pepper or Mr. Pibb or any of those. I went with Mr. Pibb, uh, Pibb Extra, just because it sounded funny. All right. Which word best describes your ideal romantic partner? Funny, generous, intense, cool, submissive, integrity, young, successful, nurturing. I'm going to go with funny. I got Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, so did I. I got the same one. I'm wondering how many choices there actually are at the bottom of this quiz. You're extremely sensitive and have a flair for melodrama. You can be very hard on yourself, but only because you know that you're capable of true greatness. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Did you try the 90s alt-rock girl? <laughs> no, should I? Uh, well, I'm just warning you, I'm Bjork. Oh, really? Yes. I would probably end up being Bjork as well. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes and, and you can people can, can go. I, I know that this this is really taken off. I mean... These internet personality quizzes, uh, um, oh, what was it? Uh, my friend Pamela, who was uh, down in L.A., was talking to Courtney Love. Courtney took the whole test and did not end up as Kurt Cobain. <laughs> <laughs> I just find that funny. I'm on a Mexican radio. I'm on a Mexican radio. 
Uh, you found a new radio format that packs in 24 songs per hour and three minutes of commercials. Now, I've done the mental math on this, and that puts the average song at two and a half minutes. How is that possible? Okay, do you remember, are you old enough to remember all those KTEL records? Not only do I remember KTEL records, but uh, my first crushes, amongst my first crushes, the Mini Pop Girls. Now, here come the Mini Pop. It's the cutest record you've ever heard. The Mini Pops sing all your top pop hits on one super album. Ask for the Mini Pops. Out now from KTEL. Let me just explain for people who may not know about this. Back in the 70s and maybe as late as the early 80s, KTEL Records used to put out these compilations of all the big top 40 hits of the day. And they would have titles like 22 Explosive Hits or Fantastic or, or, or you know, whatever. So they would pack on a single record 22 songs or 24 songs. Now, how do you pull that off? Here's how you do it. First of all, you pack the grooves as tight as possible as you can on the record. Doesn't that screw with the fidelity? It does, because you can't make the grooves as deep as, as you would normally, which means the grooves can only store so much information. So that's one way. The other way is to edit the songs. So you would have a song that would normally be like four and a half minutes or five minutes on the radio, edited down to two and a half or three minutes. Therefore, you could pack more on each side, you know, 11 songs on the side of an album. That's, that's pretty good, but it sounds like it's a terrific deal. So that's essentially what this new format is doing. It's called Quick Hits. And uh, there's a company out of, uh, out of the U.S. and uh, it crosses the board. It's called SparkNet. And uh, they're, they're marketing this new format to radio stations uh, across North America. And they say that, listen, here's what you do. You play 24 songs per hour. You leave room for just three minutes of commercials. It's short attention span listening. Slogan is twice the music, half the time. So unless they're bending the space-time continuum in ways that we don't understand, they're basically taking all the big songs of the day, editing them down to their bare minimum, and then putting it on the radio. Doesn't the recording industry have a problem with that? No, absolutely not, because they get what they want. Oh, they get paid regardless. They get, they get paid regardless. Ah. And uh, this, what this simply does, in theory, is allow the same song to be played more often throughout the day. Weren't radio stations trying to do that with Canadian content? Yeah, this was a thing that people tried to get away with back in the early days of Canadian content. We used to uh, call them beaver hours. Which sounds like one of those top 10 anti-Valentine's Day songs, but is not. No, it's not. What, what would happen is, like, in the old days, you had to get 30%. 30% of your playlist had to be uh, Canadian content. And... It didn't matter when between 6 a.m. and 12 midnight you got that Canadian content in so long as you did. So what a lot of radio stations did was they would take all the Canadian songs that they needed to play, edit them down to their bare minimum, and then run them between 10 p.m. and midnight. <laughs> all at once. All, pretty much all at once. I'm surprised they didn't do one song on the left channel, another song on the right. Couldn't do that. But um, quickly, the CRTC caught on to this and the idea, they, they changed it. You can't do that anymore because of the way the Canadian content rules are written. You have to have um, 35% between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Monday to Friday, and then you have to have uh, 35% from 6 a.m. Um, Monday morning to midnight on Sunday. So it's it's complicated, but you can't do this anymore. But SparkNet uh, 
in their quick hits format. They've got one station. I think they're in Des Moines, Iowa. This sounds perfect for like doctor's offices and things like that. Well, I'm yeah, I guess so. I'm, I'm just wondering if this is what radio listeners really want. I mean, if it's but, you know, we, we are dealing with top 40 songs that have a real limited shelf life. So uh, I don't know if I would. It's not my cup of tea, but I mean, terrestrial radio is always looking for the next edge. Hey, speak, speaking of uh, great segues from Cup of Tea, uh, Bob Marley's son's got a coffee company? Yeah. Did you know that Rohan Marley used to play for the Ottawa Rough Riders? I had no idea. That, that's, that's, is that hockey? What is that? It's a game. It's a sports ball. It's sports ball. Uh, he played, ho- he played uh, for the uh, University of Miami Hurricanes, he, which is football. Take note. Football. Okay. He ended up playing for the um, uh, Ottawa Rough Riders in the CFL for a while. Uh, then he went back to Jamaica, started this uh, coffee plantation, all organic, uh, up in Jamaica's Blue Mountains. Have you ever had Blue Mountain coffee? No, I haven't. Oh, it's good. Really? It's re- I mean, you have to pay real close attention to how you brew it, but it is really good Why coffee. do you have to pay attention to how you brew it? You don't just stick it in the coffee maker? No, I, you know what? Because it's very expensive and you want to make sure you get the, the, the measurements right. Oh, but if the you- ratio of water to grounds? All that stuff. Okay. And and if you get it right, it is it is delicious coffee. So uh, Marley Coffee is is uh, all organic Blue Mountain Jamaican coffee, very good. And and Rohan also um, is um, uh, behind uh, the House of Marley headphones, which I understand are okay. Hmm. This is not his only son. One of many children you write. Oh no no, <laughs> Bob had lots of kids. With lots of different people. Well, that's that whole Rastafarian lifestyle. Well, or well, whatever. But uh, it's the Jammin' Java Corporation. Oh, well, of course. Um, and it has gone public, and uh, it is just rolling in cash. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to have to find some of this coffee. It's I don't know where you... I'm looking at this on Business Insider. The company has revenue of $4.6 over the course of the last nine months, which is almost three times more than what they pulled in the year before. Yeah. Are you an Antiques Roadshow kind of guy? No. Why? Because uh, according to the latest episode that aired on Monday, a former Motown Museum collector uh, brought in a few albums in 45s, opened one up, and out fell into his hands was the passport of a young Marvin Gaye. Okay. Valued at $20,000. Oh, okay. All of a sudden I'm interested because an old expired passport would not be of any interest to me whatsoever. However, $20,000... Certainly would be. Apparently, it's not very common to get Marvin Gaye memorabilia. Now that you mention it. It was 1964, still in the prime of his life, having the best time. His career is really starting to take off, according to the appraiser Laura Woolley, uh, of the find itself. Why? My question is, is, why on earth would you put your passport in a vinyl cover? Yes. Why would it be in there? You're trying to smuggle out your passport somehow? Uh, well, obviously somebody had acquired it and then for safekeeping stuffed it in the record and then forgot about it. And the record ended up in this flea market. And there you go. Ah, that might be it. So the, the probably was a collector of Marvin Gaye memorabilia. This was one of the things slid it in there to keep it all in the same spot and then probably died. And the children frittered it off. Right. And, and now somebody's thinking, please, please shoot me in the chest with a shotgun. Dude. Uh, too soon? Too soon. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. 
Uh, did you did you see this 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 beep streaming music service? I looked at this beep. It's not really a streaming music service as much as it's a gadget. It's a gadget. Sorry, I mean, it's not a service. It's um. It, 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 I guess it streams music to your existing stereo systems. Yeah, I, I looked at it. I tried to figure it out because in this video, this woman who doesn't look the least bit hip, and maybe that's their demographic, is going from room to room dancing away as the beep uh, music streamer uh, plays on all of her various devices. And I suspect that if you want this device, you've got to buy multiple units so that it plugs into different audio sources you still have to have the rca you know quarter inch or eighth inch jack uh, input into whatever it is you want to stream but it, it looks like just like any other streaming box yeah it does um but what why did you want to report on this what what well i know i, I thought it was rather interesting because it looks like a big you know staples easy button right it's like a, like a knob with all sorts of notches on it. you just spin it and apparently, it, the, the the review I said, so it's this evil router that will allow you to stream music to any speaker that you have in the house. And it could be, you, you could stream it through your, your clock radio, you could stream it through your stereo, you could stream it through anywhere. It, and and it, um, it's all controlled through, I just thought it was kind of cool. Well, we have been speaking recently about um, the Sonos system as an alternative. Sonos itself, though, is not just the streaming gear, but it's also the speakers. Right. But if you've already got the speakers and you don't want to spend the hundreds upon hundreds of dollars you'd spend on a Sonos system, this might be an alternative. Well, that's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, in my house, I've got everything. I, I built this house nine years ago, so I'm wired with, uh, you know, Cat5 cable everywhere. So I, I have a and I have speakers in the ceiling and, and, and in the wall and a bunch of other places. So I'm I'm kind of covered with this. But I can understand, you know, that that was a huge I have 5000 feet of speaker wire and cat five cable in my house, in the in the ceiling and the walls and the roof. And if you don't, the only way I could have done that was to build the house from scratch. And um, if I were building another house today, I wouldn't do that. I would, I would, I mean, everything's wireless now, but nine years ago, you you wanted wired connections. I think you still want wired connections. If you're building a house today or you're retrofitting something, I think the Cat 5, or in, in the case for me, when I when I gutted my house, Cat 6, is still the way to go. You want that higher fidelity that comes without worrying about whether your Wi-Fi network goes down. No, that, that, that's true. That's true. If you can afford it. But the more affordable um, uh, method is, is with... You know, the the wireless streaming. And, I, you know, I would like to see how this beep thing works. It's fairly cheap, actually. Um, if you buy one, it's only 100 bucks. They're $99 each. Um, There's $7 in shipping. Uh, they recommend uh, two beeps, which gets you a cheaper deal there. Uh, actually, no, I'm looking at it now. It's not any cheaper. They're still 99 bucks each. Uh, but uh, you can buy up to 10 of them on the site itself for 1000 bucks, And it's only a pre-order. Uh, they don't actually have this product available yet. Yeah, it's still a Kickstarter or something. Uh, is that what it is? Yeah. So, uh, that, but a hundred bucks for something that will stream from your iPhone or Android device to your wired stereo system is still pretty good. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, again, if you have the speakers already, I mean, why not repurpose them? You report that music download sales are tanking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one. Of the, I, I get a, a bulletin every Wednesday that deals with uh, music sales in Canada and the United States. And so far this year, it has been dire, uh, whether we're talking about physical sales or um, digital sales. 
And it's beginning to look like streaming music services, especially in the United States, are starting to take the steam out of something like iTunes. Now, iTunes is the largest music retailer in the known galaxy. But if you look at some charts, you can see that the growth of iTunes in terms of sales is beginning to level off. It certainly hasn't gone down, but it's beginning to level off. And that's because people are getting used to this idea of being able to access music rather than having to actually purchase it and possess it. So uh, if you look at the music sales, the bulletin that I get from Nielsen SoundScan every Wednesday, you know, you can see that that everything is, you know, like 6% below they were, uh, 6% below where it was this time last year or, or lower. Um, there has been no growth at all. In fact, the growth has been negative on both sides of the border. I wonder if it's lies, damn lies, or statistics here, because I'm looking at this uh, MyDiaConsulting.com graph that shows that halfway through 2009, the percentage of um, revenue that was music-specific cut into less than 50%. But at the same time, you could start downloading videos, books, and apps at about that point as well. So maybe we're only seeing it level off because there are other products available in the iTunes store now. Well, that's true too. I mean, one of the things that has been discounted over the past 15 years when it comes to music sales is the fact that we've got so many other choices for our entertainment minutes in a week. It used to be that we had radio and television and, and movies, but now we've got so many different choices when it comes to how we spend our leisure time that music has taken a bit of a hit. I think the solution is clearly to cut our music down to two and a half minutes. Maybe it is. But, you know, you know let's, let's, let's be honest here. iTunes is not, or any kind of music sales, aren't going away anytime soon. However, uh, we are seeing this, this slow, inexorable move towards access over possession. And uh, it's, it's just interesting to see at this point which of the streaming music services are going to survive um, because I think what we're going to do is, and we've talked about this before, is we're going to see a period of consolidation over the next little while, and it will be the survival of the fittest. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. I have an apology to issue. Oh, what, what did you do? I completely missed an email from Martin Dynan saying that he had donated to the big show, and that was like a month and a half ago. Oh, great, great. Yeah, I know. Sends me a, a polite email saying, excuse me, just checking in. Um, I, I donated. What's the deal? Uh, he went to geeksandbeats.com slash donate, uh, donated 25 bucks so he could be a co-producer on the show. And uh, not only that, but also put it on his resume and we would send him the album art for that week's episode, suitable for framing and hanging in your parents' basement. And I completely blew him off. Right. Nice going. So this is in, uh, I was going to say in retrospect, but that's not the term I'm looking for. No, no. What you're, you're, you're groveling and apologizing. That's true. Uh, and uh, so, Martin, my apologies for that. Thank you for uh, being a big fan of the show and opening up your wallet wide and making it possible for us to actually keep the show running for another month because we used your money uh, to help pay for another year's worth of hosting uh, domain service uh, over at uh, Bluehost. Hmm. Good. So, yeah. So if you, uh, too, want to get your name mentioned on the show, and maybe actually you should mention it because you're the bigger shot than me. Fine. Please, please, please donate to this nonprofit organization because otherwise it comes out of our pockets. 
Uh, Michael has a steady job. I don't. And I've had a very lean winter. You don't want to know my cash flow situation right now. How is it possible you have a lean winter? You are the man behind Indie 88. I know. Listen. You're now working for iTunes. I'm not working for iTunes. I'm working for Songza. Songza. Sorry. That's right. There was an iTunes Canadian store opening and then you didn't... uh, I didn't get it. I didn't even get a call. Did you even try? I did. I applied. I actually... Uh, made some uh, very high-level inquiries, but I have yet to hear anything. Well, Martin, thank you so much for keeping Alan um, afloat. Yeah, listen, I've done a lot of work, but people are very slow in paying their bills. I mean, it's it used to be, you know, accounts receivable 30 days, now it's 60 and 90. So it's like, hello? Uh, meantime, we had an email from uh, Jeff Berwick writing and saying, he was listening to the latest podcast where we talked about my home automation system that runs on a Macintosh. He wants to know what the system is called and where he can get more information on it. Okay, well, go. Uh, so uh, Serena, which is uh, the name we've given to our uh, home automation voice, uh, she's uh, being run by a system called Indigo. Uh, and uh, Indigo is a Mac operating system-based uh, Insteon software package. Insteon is the – you replace your light switches and other gadgets with an Insteon-based light switch or other gadget. And then it actually sends signals between the units over the power line. Because if you understand uh, anything about the way electricity flows, through uh, your walls, it does it in a wave pattern. But the electricity that is only used is the center bit of it. The tops and the bottoms of the wave aren't actually used. So they encode commands into the tops and the bottoms, and the other switches listen for an order for their specific switch to do something. And so the Indigo software manages not only that, uh, but it also is the intelligence side of it. It's the if-then-else side of it. Right, okay. And so uh, you use the Macintosh for that. And the neat thing, too, is that because it's a Mac, it's also connecting to iTunes. So whenever I download a new song on iTunes, it automatically puts it in iTunes under a, a smart playlist I've got called New Music. And I can hit a play button on my wall, and it will play from that playlist all my new music. Hmm. My home automation system is called Control 4. Mine is about seven years old. But yours is the expensive stuff. It is the expensive stuff. And um, although it works quite well, mostly, it does have its quirks. And again, it's, it's seven years old and it desperately, desperately needs an upgrade. But the upgrade is going to cost me around two grand. And I, I'm kind of balking at that. I find that Insteon's like that as well. The way I describe it is if you use it to 80% of its capability, it will work flawlessly 100% of the time. But when you try to push it to its limits, uh, sometimes the, those little signals I was mentioning don't end up being received. And so you hit a button and I would say nine times out of 10, it'll work. But there's that one time where it doesn't work right away and you're thinking – uh, do I have to hit this button again? And then it'll it'll kick in because it's, it's got a, a system where it'll keep trying until the other switch says, yes, I received your message. So if it doesn't receive the message because who knows, maybe the air conditioning kicked in and garbled the signal, um, it uh, it won't work. So so long as you're not going too far. But the Control 4 is different for you because it's actually using that Cat5 cabling that you talked about, whereas mine relies on the power line and it is less reliable than yours. Yeah, and I use uh, the 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 standard I use in in mine is called Zigbee. Yes, and uh, it, it you know again it works fine until your network gets garbled, and if you have uh, like an issue with your modem or your router or your switches, uh, 
it can get a little on the weird side. Hey, listen, have you heard about uh, these Hue lights? Yes, the new Philips Hue lights that are Wi-Fi enabled. Yeah, and the ones that can are are, autom- are, are, are infinitely variable in the in their in their color. Yes, I, I'm thinking about for the home studio here installing some track lighting with uh, the Hue lights in it, so that I can make changes to the background if I'm doing video work. Yeah, I'm thinking about doing exactly the same thing. I he- I've heard about a really new. Okay, this is super geeky. You'll like this. There is a new app that interfaces with your Hue lights. Okay. Okay. Every time a new exoplanet is discovered. Okay. (laughs) Every time a new exoplanet is discovered, uh, your lights will flash. And then the lights will assume the light that the planet that has just been discovered would receive. See, this is what we were talking about last week with the um, Internet of Things combined with um, these smartwatches and wristbands that keep track of all sorts of disparate information and how do you you collect all that information then do something with it yeah having an open architecture like the hue system which says any nerd can write programs for this uh, allows you to do this exact sort of thing the neat thing is with hue will talk to my home automation system and if the humidity in my house is too low the lights will go from standard bright white down to a yellow or a blue to warn you that it's time to refill the humidifier. Yeah, I, I, okay, fine. I, I, I get it. But I, I do kind of like the idea of a new Kepler planet. Um, How often is that sort of thing happening, though? Oh, it happens at least once a week now. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's the Tito's. It's done. <laughs> uh, it does happen once a week. Now, I told this to my wife, and the, you would, <laughs> the withering look I got. Oh, I bet. Uh, it just didn't work. It uh, no. <laughs> Chicks, they just don't dig this. No, they don't. I have a, in, in, I have a great room. So I have a 20-foot ceiling in, in my, my great room. And there are four uh, pot lights up at the top. And they're only there for ambient light, more or less. I would like to replace the halogen bulbs in those four pot lights with hue lights. And then I would have them tell me when new exoplanets are discovered. I love it. That would be kind of cool. The only problem with the Hue system is it's very expensive. Yeah, three bulbs for 200 bucks, and I need four, so that's another 60 bucks. Plus, you need the bridge. Plus, you need the bridge. But if you get the starter kit for $200, you get three lights in the bridge, and then you can get additional lights. Geeks and Beats update uh, on last week when I predicted uh, that uh, your Seattle Seahawks would get their uh, heads handed to them. Turns out I was the opposite. Yeah, I had a dream, and my dream said Broncos 35, Seahawks 10. Well, so much for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, according to uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers frontman, Flea, he admitted pretty much right out of the gate that they faked playing the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, and I totally understand that because you're in front of 100 and, what was it, 115 million people for that halftime show. The last thing you want is for there to be technical difficulty with your instrument. Here's why. Number one, it's cold. Instruments go out of tune very, very quickly in the cold. Number two, you have 15 minutes to set up, perform, and tear down. There's not a lot of time for a sound check there, so you have no idea if the gear is going to go bad. Third, if you have the vocals live, well, fine. Mime along with a properly tuned, properly synced, properly mic'd, properly uh, mixed uh instrumental track. I don't have any problem with that. Again, you're dealing with a one-time only thing in front of 115 million people. 
but he didn't even try to fake it. Uh, he, they went out there with the guitars. They weren't even plugged in. And uh, anyone who was watching would have said, hey, wait a minute. How come? The, what are these wireless guitars? Yeah. I mean, wireless pickups are, are, are super, 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 super common. Oh. But, uh, you know, you have to watch, you know, the fingers. Are, are they actually playing? And, and the answer was they, 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 they weren't. And, you know, when I was watching the game and, and, and t- live tweeting it, I said, uh, okay, half of this is tracked. And I mean, the, the instrumentation is tracked, but the vocals were live. You said how many people were there for the Super Bowl? 115 million people watched the halftime show. Now, I don't know anything about the Super Bowl, but I do know that the Seattle Seahawks kicked the Denver Broncos in a very bad way. Do you really think that many people were still sitting there watching it? Wasn't the game basically over by the halftime no, show? No, well, you see, the, the NFL has figured out that they can make a lot of money on the halftime show after years of marching bands and, and guys doing magic tricks. So they put a lot of time and effort into putting together a really big halftime show. And the number of people who watched the halftime show actually exceeded the average number of people watching the game. 115 million people. This was the the, the highest rated, the most watched halftime show in the 47 years of the Super Bowl. I understand Bruno Mars did a pretty good job. You know what he did? Uh, he's, it's not my music. Uh, but uh, he's a he's a hell of a showman, and uh, you know, good on him. And uh, one of the things, if you looked at, uh, uh, and we'll see it more when when we get the numbers on Wednesday, there will be a uh, a huge bump in uh, sales of his of his two albums and all the singles that came from it. My favorite tweet was actually yours that you felt sorry for any advertiser who dropped four million bucks on a Super Bowl ad in the second half of the game. We always hear about the price per 30 second commercial leading up to the Super Bowl and this year it was around four million. I wonder if there is some sort of prorated back-end deal. <laughs> so that if nobody's watching you get a discount? Well if the game if the game's a blowout, how much is how much is a 30 second spot on this com- on this show? 25 bucks. See, we're a bargain. Buy now. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.